You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. Well, this morning, we are going to uh, find ourselves in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And uh, I am going to read God's word for us, and then we will pray. Amen? Here's the word of God for us this morning. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Church, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we have this account of this interaction between you, a Pharisee, and a woman. And Lord, we thank you that in it, Lord, we see the beauty of the forgiveness of sins that we have all received through Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that uh, this morning your spirit would preach and speak and teach and minister to every single one of our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would touch our hearts in such a way that it would produce faith, conviction, repentance. And Lord, we pray that 
uh, our ears would be attentive, Lord, to not just listen, but to put to practice what we hear. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure that many of you know what Netflix is. And uh, uh, a few months ago, uh, there was a Netflix documentary series uh, that began. And everybody was talking about it. And my wife and I, once in a while, when we have some time, we like to watch documentaries. And so we said, you know, I mean, let's, uh, let's, look, at, let's look at the, uh, you know, just look at what this documentary is about. We found it to be interesting, the name. And, but once we saw, you know, the, uh, the clips of the documentary, we decided we wouldn't watch it. So I'm not here today to tell you uh, to promote this documentary or to tell you to watch this documentary. But the name of the documentary was Dahmer. And I think all of you have heard the name Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer is probably known in the United States of America as probably the most evil person who's ever uh, lived in America. He was born in 1960, and from the years of 1978 to 1991, he committed the murder of 17 young men and boys. And this man didn't just kill them. He sexually raped them. He tortured them. He cut their body in in pieces, and he ate them. In fact, he would keep their corpses and sleep with them. He was caught in 1991 after one of his victims escaped naked and in handcuffs and was found by the police. And, and, you know, I I hate to be graphic about this, but there's an intention here in me being graphic. And that is the reality of the type of evil that we're talking about. I want you to hear, I want you to feel the type of evil that we're talking about here when we talk about this man. Now, this man is said to be one of the most evil men to walk the face of this planet. But a lot of people don't know this about him. And and what I want you to know about him is that before his death, Dahmer professed to be a born-again Christian. See, while he was in prison, he began to read the Bible. He began to be taught about uh, creation. See, he had always believed Darwin's, uh, you know, uh, theory of evolution. And so he began to be taught about creation as he read his Bible. And he began to see that man was created in God's image and likeness. And when he began to see that and believe that, he was convicted of all his crimes because he was like, how can I do this? How could I have done such evil things? And he further continued to read his Bible, and he came under the conviction that he needed to be baptized. 
At that time, there was no minister that would go and meet with him, but a minister by the name of Roy Ratcliffe took it upon himself to meet with Dahmer and teach him about baptism, and he was baptized by Ratcliffe, and for the next seven months before his death, Ratcliffe met with Dahmer every Wednesday morning to teach him the Bible and disciple him. And Dahmer became known among his cellmates as the evangelist in their jail. As the one who would talk to them about Jesus and give them evangelical tracts and, and tell them to repent of their, of their sins and believe in Christ. Even after a failed murder plot to kill him because he was murdered in jail because people hated him. And even after the first time that, he would, that, he, that they tried to kill him and that was failed, he survived it. He was so glad that he had lived because he could continue the Lord's work with his inmates while in jail. He died at the hands of another inmate at the, you know, being beaten to death. And you might say, well, pastor, did you watch the documentary? I actually didn't. Uh, there's a book by the man who uh, brought him to Christ that is called Dark Journey, Deep Grace. And Brothers and sisters, what I wanted to ask you this morning is, can you guys imagine if when we enter heaven, we have a man by the name of Jeffrey Dahmer who welcomes us there? I wonder what the families of the members of the, the family members of the victims would say if you ask them what they thought about God forgiving a man like Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, they would probably say there is no way a man this evil could be forgiven by God. But beloved, what we find in our text today is that same tension. Because we find a prostitute coming to worship the one who has forgiven her. And all those who are there are saying to themselves and saying among themselves, If this man was from God, he would have nothing to do with her. Yet God does not send her away. God does not refuse her worship. But he accepts it and he loves her. Beloved, our God loves sinners. Even the worst of them. And listen to me, true faith believes this. True faith doesn't have a hard time believing that a Jeffrey Dahmer can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You know why? Because I found forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And the same sinful nature that was in Jeffrey Dahmer is the same sinful nature that I bear. But God. But God. He restrains my evil. And so true faith believes that even a Jeffrey Dahmer can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. 
True faith is compelled by the infinite grace of a loving God and worships that God who has forgiven all of our sins. We are all capable of being Dahmers, but God. And when we believe this to be true, we can't help but have that faith produce fruits of faith in us. And so here's our driving question for uh, this morning. What kind of fruit does great faith produce in the heart of sinners? What kind of fruit does great faith produce in the heart of sinners? And the first thing we're going to talk about is courage. Courage. Verse 37 tells us, a woman in the town was a, who was a sinner found out, she just heard, she found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, and she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, Luke begins by revealing to us that there's this apparent ongoing request by a Pharisee to have Jesus in his home, right? Because it tells us that one of the Pharisees had invited him to eat with him. And it's tempting for us to read this story, and I think many preachers do that. They, they read this story as if, as if Simon is a good guy. As if Simon is, is doing some sort of goodwill for Jesus. But that would be a mistake. You see, Luke has no, uh, has, has no way of leading us that way. Luke has made no qualms up to this point that Jesus and the Pharisees are on the same side. He will not allow us to make Simon a good guy. Because throughout his whole gospel, Luke has introduced them, even back in chapter 5, uh, you know, he showed them how, how they're, they're looking to connive and they're looking to trap Jesus into doing or saying something that will accuse him of blasphemy. And we can see that. We get the first picture of that uh, in Luke 5.21. It tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, this is what they were conniving, okay? Who is this man who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately following that, Jesus will save Matthew. Jesus calls Matthew out of the tax booth. And when Jesus attends a banquet that Matthew does in his home, this is what Luke 5.30 tells us. It tells us the Pharisees and their scribes begin grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And from there we read in Luke 6, 1 and 2, it says that now it happened that he was passing through the, some grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were picking the head of grains, rubbing them in their hands and eating the grain. And guess what the Pharisees say? Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And then again in Luke 6, 6 and 7, on another Sabbath, you know, he enters the synagogue, and guess what the Pharisees are doing? They're making sure, Lord, let's see what Jesus does. Let's see what he does. Let's see if he heals on the Sabbath. And he even tells us, you know, Luke gives us this commentary. Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. 
And even after Jesus silenced them, Luke records in, in Luke 6, 11, by they themselves were filled with rage, speaking of the Pharisees, and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. You see the point? See, we, we, are, a lo- we are long past trying to make friends with the Pharisees. The Pharisees want to do away with Jesus. All of Luke chapter 7 shows us Jesus doing this miraculous things. And after every miracle, the Pharisees are there. And people are asking, is this man a prophet? And so that is the question that we have in chapter 7. Is this man a prophet? And so the Pharisees are seeking this, and this Pharisee Simon invites Jesus into his home. Why? Well, if we read the whole context, we see that the reason why he invites him home is because he's trying to figure out who is this Jesus guy. It's not because he's a good guy. It's not because he really thinks highly of Jesus. It's not because he wants to learn from Jesus. No, he wants to catch Jesus in an act to accuse him. And it is in that context that we find courage. Because here we have this woman that hears that Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee And she doesn't care about anything that's going on. She just simply wants to come and worship the one who has forgiven her of sin. And so here's a question for us. What what kind of courage does faith give us, right? What is the courage that it produces? Well, number one is the courage to face your sin. The courage to face your sin. Verse 39 tells us, right, that when the Pharisee who had invited him saw the woman come in and and, and start worshiping him, look at what he says. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Beloved, this woman didn't enter the place hiding She didn't enter the place ignoring her own sinfulness. This woman knew that she was about to enter the house full of men who knew exactly who she was. Now, let me take a little bit of liberties, okay, of things that you don't necessarily see in the text. uh, but, But I think that the Spirit of God implies these in some of the things that we see here. You see, Simon the Pharisee knows this woman is a woman of the streets, a.k.a. she's a prostitute. But the woman comes in the house, his house, and he stays quiet. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm having a gathering, if I'm having a banquet with people in my home, and I have this guest, this this Jesus who people call him a prophet, and I have him in my home, right? And some woman that I know is a prostitute comes into my home and begins to do these things to Jesus, I wouldn't stay quiet, would you? But he stays quiet. 
I mean, you would think Simon would have gotten up and said, hey, get her out of here. But, but he doesn't do that. Right? This woman goes up to Jesus. She begins to sob at his feet. And Simon could have stood up right there and then and said, stop it. And he could have kicked both the woman and Jesus out of his house. But for some reason, he stays quiet. And I think that the reason why he stays quiet is because he knows who this woman is. Remember, he's trying to catch Jesus in an unlawful act. He's trying to make sure to prove that he is not a prophet. But beloved, this woman had the courage to enter into a house filled with men that were pretty acquainted with her. And she not only risked her life because she could have easily been taken out and beaten or stoned, but she knew that in that room there were probably men who had used her sinful services. And yet her faith that she had found forgiveness in Jesus, had given her the courage to face everything that reminded her of how sinful she was. Beloved, sometimes it's sad that I come across professing Christians that have such a hard time facing their own wickedness. It's like, it's like we want to be so holy before God in our own righteousness that we will even renounce, you know, all the wrongdoing even when it's evident to everyone else. We have different pastors in our church. And I, just think about this. Imagine, you know, Pastor Jonathan, who's one of our pastors. Imagine he says to me, hey, Jose, listen, man, like you're, you're, you're very rude. Man, you're very harsh with us. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, whatever, man. Jonathan doesn't know what he's talking about. That's not true. But then Pastor Mike comes, and he starts telling me the same thing. He's like, hey, Jose, man, you got you to gotta slow down, man. You got to be more gentle with us. Uh, Pastor Mike doesn't know what he's talking about. So many professing Christians don't want to face their sin. We don't have the courage to face ourselves in the mirror of God's word and say, I'm sinful. Look at my sin. This woman here had no shame to hide. Because faith had set her free to have the courage to face her own sin. But not only did he, she have the courage to face her own sin, she had the courage to face her Savior. Look at verse 39. It tells us, you know, it tells us once again, right, that the Pharisee inviting Jesus sees this. And, and look at what he says. He says, this man, if he were a prophet... See, Simon makes a declaration in his head that if Jesus was from God, that's what a prophet is, right? A prophet is a man that comes from God, a man that speaks from God, right? He would have nothing to do with this woman. Yet this woman not only treated Jesus like he was a prophet, but she treated Jesus like only God deserves to be treated. She worshipped him. She fell at his feet. 
And Simon had no regards for Jesus. It is obvious he didn't even think he was a prophet, but this woman loved Jesus. And she viewed him as God and Savior. And yet she had the courage to come to him. Beloved, Simon had the right idea. He had the right idea of the holiness of God. Because God is so holy that he hates sin. God is so holy that Psalm 5 verse 5 tells us that he hates the wicked. God hates sin. He hates the wicked. He is so holy, okay, that if God came into this room right now, we would all fall in our faces. And we would all cry out like Isaiah, oh, I am a dead man. God is so holy that the angels are not able to be in his presence without them covering their eyes and covering their feet. That is how holy God is. And so Simon had the right idea. If this man was from God, if he was from God, if he was a holy man, right, he would know what kind of woman this is. This wouldn't be going on. But this woman has the courage to come before the Holy Son of God and worship him. Beloved, it takes faith-induced courage to do that. So many of us, when we are caught in our sin, we run away from God instead. You know, when we're not, when we're not feeling all that holy, we, we hide from God instead. Beloved, faith runs to Jesus. Even when we... You know, even when we're caught in sin, faith runs to Jesus. Even when everyone around us murmurs of our sin, you know, faith runs to Jesus. No matter how unclean and unholy we feel, he will not send us packing. He always receives broken sinners. The second thing that we see faith produces in us. So it produces courage. Courage to face our sin. Courage to face our Savior. But it produces humility. Look at verse 38. It says, and, and, uh, and this woman, right, stood behind him at his feet weeping. Now the second fruit we see in all of this is the fruit of humility. In this culture, it was normal for men to sit around a table. Uh, but, you know, when, when we look at tables today, when you guys today go fellowship, I know that you guys go to different homes. You guys have lunch together. That's awesome. You know, you'll probably sit on tables, you know, chairs, and your feet are under the table. But in this culture, you know, even in the Middle East today, tables are low to the ground. And, and when you sit, you're actually reclining on the table. Your feet are outward. 
And, that, and that's what was happening. And Jesus is there sitting and this woman comes behind him and she humbles herself. She completely seeks to honor Jesus. Now, Simon had a desire to be in the presence of Jesus, but his desire to be in the presence of Jesus was compromised with his desire to expose Jesus as a fraud. You see, this woman's desire to be in the presence of Jesus is with the motive of selfless worship. And beloved, that is what humility is. Humility is selflessness in worship. It is considering others, in this case Jesus, greater than self. And many of us want to be around Jesus. We want Jesus in our parties, right? We want to be about Jesus. We, wanna, we want Jesus around, but we also want everything to revolve around us. We want to be the center instead of Jesus. Beloved, I got to confess to you, I do this all the time with my church. I am grieved of how much self drives the things that I do for Jesus. There's so much self that drives the things I do. And more and more, Jesus is opening my eyes to see this. And uh, in fact, there are things that I've stopped doing because I always have to ask the question, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for Jesus? Beloved, it's so disgusting at times to see modern-day Christianity that is full of self. Full of self. Taking videos all the time of, oh, look at what I'm doing. Look at how much I'm doing for Jesus. You know, like, you know, sometimes, you know, you see church leaders, you know, just like boasting And my question is, where is Jesus? See, humility makes much of Jesus and forgets the self. So, why, why is this woman humbled? What is she humbled by? Two things. Number one, she's humbled by her condition. Verse 38 tells us that she began to wish to wash his feet with her tears. And she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Beloved, this is a woman that acknowledges her condition before God. He, here is a woman who has been brought down so low. She does something that is completely unthinkable. She brings herself low to, to, to the place of a servant who is washing the feet of her master. And then she lets loose her hair. In, those cult in that culture, women would not loosen their hair. Women would only show their hair to their husbands. And yet she loosens her hair, right? And she wipes his feet with her hair to dry them. Here is a woman who understands who she is before God. 
and her condition has humbled her. But she's not only humbled by her condition, she is also humbled by his compassion. Once again, in verse 39, the the Pharisee says, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. You see, he had the right idea. He's not lying. Like he has the right idea of the holiness of God. Right? And yet this woman, knowing her condition, knowing who she is, knowing her sin and her wickedness, and yet she is moved to humility. Why? Because she is there and the Holy One is accepting her worship. Beloved, I pray that you would always be in awe every time you direct your worship to God. Because listen to me, he accepts it. He not only accepts it, he dances over it. He abides it. Every time you guys come together on Sunday mornings, and you begin to worship the Lord. Oh man. That the holy king of the universe. Right now. Is looking down upon sinners like us. And that he is delighted. In our worship. Isn't that amazing? What compassion. He has for sinners. And so she is humbled by her condition, but she is also humbled by his compassion. The third thing that faith produces in us is gratitude. So Jesus, after after, uh, seeing what Simon uh, is thinking, uh, I love that part because because Simon doesn't speak his words out. He's just thinking in his mind, right? If this man was from God, he would know what type of woman this is. He's just thinking this. And I love this because, because right away, you know, Jesus says, Hey, Simon, I, I got I to gotta say something to you, right? And, uh, and he begins to tell him this story. Listen to me. It's amazing to me because, you know, Simon's thinking if he was a prophet... And Jesus right away answers him, I am a prophet. I'm more than a prophet. You're asking if I'm a prophet, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading your mail. Like, I know exactly what's going on in your mind, in your heart. Right? And, and Jesus says to him, look at, look at, he says, a creditor had two debtors, verse 41. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And so here's the, here's the, the parable that Jesus uses to describe to Simon what's going on here, right? And he uses this parable, and Jesus says, listen, there's, there's a creditor who had two debtors. One, one debtor owed him uh, two days' worth of wages, And the other debtor owed him two years worth of wages. And so obviously one is much greater than the other. 
But he says, neither one of them could pay. Neither one of these guys could pay. And the creditor forgives them both. But then Jesus points out this question. Which one of them will love him more? Now Simon answers that question correctly. And beloved, here, Jesus is not telling Simon, listen, you know, this woman has more sin than you. That's not what's... That's not what Jesus is telling Simon. What Jesus is telling Simon is, listen, this woman is able to see her own wickedness. And she is able to see the compassion and the forgiveness and the mercy of the debtor who is God, who has forgiven her of sin. Therefore, she sees forgiveness as something great. While you see forgiveness as something you don't need. Beloved, here we see a woman who faith produced in her this gratitude before the Lord. And this is how gratitude manifests. It manifests two ways. It manifests inwardly, right? She, she comes to the Lord, and, and, and it says that she had tears. She is broken. She's on her knees. She is weeping. And, and we're not talking a few tears. Listen, almost every Sunday morning when, when we start worshiping, you know, at our church, I, I mean, you know, tears come down my eyes. It's just, it's just the words. I mean, you guys sang some beautiful songs that just remind us of the beauty of Jesus, his forgiveness, our justification. I mean, it's just amazing, right? And, and when you start singing those words and those words start touching your heart, you know, you, you, you sometimes can't help but, but shed a few tears. We're not talking a few tears here. There was so much water coming out of this woman's eyes that she was able to wash his feet. Can you, can you imagine the inward gratitude in this woman's heart? She was so grateful of what she had received that that gratitude came out of her, of her eyes in tears. So gratitude is something that's manifested inwardly. We, we say, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. We thank you for his resurrection. We thank you, Lord, for his ascension into heaven. And we thank you that we have an eternal hope that we uh, abide, that we live in, and that we await consummation. Lord, we thank you. See, we, we say that out of our mouths because inwardly we are thankful, we are grateful, but it doesn't stop there. It also manifests outwardly because the text tells us in verse 46, Jesus tells Simon, listen, when I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. And then in verse 46, he says, you didn't anoint my head with olive oil. 
but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Beloved, this woman took an alabaster jar of perfume. Very expensive. She probably took all her savings right there. And she laid them at the feet of Jesus. She served Jesus by anointing him with this perfume. Beloved, gratitude is not something that we just inwardly manifest. Yeah, I'm thankful for Jesus. But gratitude is something that is manifested outwardly. Lastly, great faith produces the fruit of love. Jesus says to, the, to Simon, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Now, I should have placed love as the very first fruit that faith produces. But I intentionally left it as the last fruit. And the reason why I intentionally left it as the, as the last fruit is because, number one, it follows the structure of the text. But number two, love encompasses all. You see, without love, there'd be no courage. Love casts out all fears. You know? It is love that leads us to face our sin because we know it's been forgiven. It is love that leads us to face our Savior because we know he loves us. Like 1 John 4 tells us, right? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. It is love that leads us to humility. Because humility, the lack of humility, pride, is always trying to make much of self. But when we're loved, we know that what more can we have than what God has already given us? See, so love encompasses all of them. Love is what faith produces. And here, Jesus is not saying, because many times we hear in this text preach, and many times we hear people say something like, man, like, you have to love Jesus. Love Jesus so that you will be forgiven. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying she loves much because she has been forgiven much. See, forgiveness comes before love. Love is the fruit of it. So here's what I'm going to do today to close, okay? Uh, I, I love to do interaction with uh, the assembly, and uh, I'm going to ask you guys to interact, okay? So by way of hands, how many of you have a deep desire in your hearts to love Jesus?
Now, I know you do. I know I do. Like when I look at the law, and the law tells me, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Like I want to do that. I have a desire to love Jesus above all things. But it is hard, right? I fail every day at it. Every day I fail at it. But you know how our love will increase for Jesus? The more we are able to see how much we have been forgiven. There was a point in my walk with the Lord. And uh, I probably don't have time. Eric told you that. Uh, Jesus found me riding jet skis. That's true. It's true. I was riding jet skis at 23 years old, and, uh, and then some girls in bikinis invited me to church, you know, and that's the only reason why I went to church. I got to be honest, but once I was there, I heard the love of Christ, and there was a point in my life where you know, I've had a lot of pain. I've never lived with my father. Um, I haven't lived with my mother since I was 10 years old. And, uh, and so there's been times in my life where some of the, the people that, that we normally believe uh, are going to be the closest and most loving, you know, hurt you. And... I turned to the Lord one night and I said to him, Lord, please remind me how much you have forgiven me. And church, I pray that this would be something that you constantly do. That you would sit before the Lord and you would say, Lord, remind me of how much you have forgiven me. Because often, we forget and our grow and our love grows cold jesus tells us here the one who is forgiven much loves much and so i pray that your love would grow as you ask jesus to remind you of how much he has forgiven you so let's answer our driving question and we'll pray. What kind of fruit does great faith produce in the heart of, of, a sin, of sinners? Here it is. Great faith produces a love for Jesus that fills you with courage, humility, and gratitude in light of his love for you. I pray that this morning you would consider the love of Jesus, the one who came and lived the life you could not live, the one who came and died the death that you deserved, the one who rose from the grave so that you would receive complete forgiveness of sin. Do you understand that? Complete. There is no sin that cannot be covered 
by the blood of Jesus. You have received forgiveness. May that grow your love and your courage, your humility, and your gratitude towards God. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May God draw you nearer to Him through His Word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.